Welcome. It's History Tea Time Chat Live. How is everybody for History Tea Time Chat Live? So today we have two anniversaries that um, fall in this week that I'm going to use to have a little chat. Um, we have the execution of Archbishop Cranmer. He was burned at the stake in Oxford. And we are coming up to the anniversary of the death of Elizabeth I and the end of the Tudor era. So I thought we'd have a look at her last few days. Um, so there we go. That's what we're going to be covering today. So I hope you're all well. Um, I'm streaming live on YouTube, Facebook and Instagram. Hello, welcome if you're joining me live. Thank you so much for for doing so. Um, let me know if you can hear me okay. That would be great if you give me a bit of a thumbs up. Let me know where you're watching from as well. Um, that would be nice to know. So Yep, like, uh, streaming live, like I say, but if you're in the catch-up crew and you're watching this back later or you're listening on the podcast, hello to you too. Thank you for, for catching up. Um, remember, as always, you can support me with badges on YouTube and uh, Super Chats, sorry, excuse me, badges on Instagram, Super Chats on YouTube, stars on Facebook, and I can show you exactly what it helps me um, do. Uh, I have my little tech kit now that I have um, used your contributions so far, your donations so far to get. Um, Tim says I'm sounding great. Well, that's good because this is what this is. Um, I'm using my road mic on Instagram and this is exactly what your donations have uh, helped me to buy. So thank you so much. So I really appreciate badges on Instagram and you get different colored hearts and all sorts of stuff, stars on Facebook and uh and uh, super chats on YouTube. Good morning, Sherry over there in Virginia and Linda in Michigan. Hi, how are you doing? Not uh, long time no see. <laughs> Linda was uh, Linda's part of my Patreon, and we had a book club meeting on Sunday night, so that was all fabulous. Taking tea from Catherine. Hello, she's in New York. Uh, who have we got on Instagram? Uh, David is over there in Chicago. Can hear me great. That's good. Thank you very much. Um, AG Mommy of Two, North Carolina, welcome. Oh, Concept, Concept RC is on in the Canary Islands. Nice. Graham is down in Adelaide in Australia. Uh, uh, Jenna is, <laughs> she's over there in the US and it's not raining. Woohoo! It's also not raining here today. It's a sunny day. Unfortunately, I'm stuck inside. Erin is in Tanzania. Um, Amy. Is it true she died standing up? I'm presuming we're talking about Elizabeth there. I will come to that. We will definitely talk about that. So welcome, everyone. Thank you so much for popping comments. Um, Ginsak is in Kentucky. Uh, Doza is in El Paso, Texas. Thank you, everybody. Sorry if I've missed um, people. I try and pick up on as many comments as I can. Excuse me if I sneeze. I've... Um, Unfortunately, developed an allergy to my dogs, which is pretty gutting. Um, and it means I sort of have this constant feeling like I need to sneeze. So I will excuse myself uh, in advance if I do so. I'm so sorry about that. So, <laughs> but on to today. So, yes, yeah, so we're going to talk about the last few days of um, Elizabeth the first life hello Rebecca that's okay just a few minutes is better than none thank you so much for for, for coming at all Rebecca in Atlanta um Mayfair Forest which hi how are you doing glamorous as always thank you very much yeah I've curled my hair you want to see what it looks like when I don't do it um 
<laughs> how I get ready for my audience. Well, if you've never, if you've noticed, Tea Time Live and History After Dark take place on the same day, and that is very much on purpose. That I only have to get ready one day a week. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah um Heidi in the Netherlands gloomy but dry <sighs> yeah we'll take the rough with the smooth but we want some sunshine Rebecca in Atlanta hi um oh thank you Jinsak yes my the neckline of my top it's one of my favorites um yeah Rebecca the allergy it's not good is it and you love your you love your dogs and um you develop an allergy to them or it's their dust but the problem is I can't be the one to brush them and get them clean because then that sets it off ah oh, awful never mind I will uh just have to take lots of antihistamine uh sorry where was I so um uh Claudia what do I think of Anne Boleyn as a mother oh well she didn't have very long did she to uh to show and 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 she's also a queen, which is a little bit, it's a bit different. She was as hands-on as she could be. Interestingly, of course, we've got um, Tracy Borman's book coming out on the 19th of May about uh, about the relationship between Anne and Elizabeth. Um, and can't wait because Tracy is speaking to our tour group. Um, I do a tour called the Anne Boleyn Tour every May. And this May on the 18th, so a day before Tracy's book goes live, uh, is published, um, uh, she's doing a talk to my group and they're getting a copy of the book if they want one as well. So um, that I'm looking forward to that book and maybe, and obviously Tracy will be going into that in more detail. So excuse me, taking a drink. Um so, yes, yeah, so we'll talk about the last few days of Elizabeth I's life and we'll talk about Cranmer as well. Now, I, forewarned is forearmed and I um, I decided that what I, what I really should do, probably should have done it a long time ago, is read um, Fox's Book of Martyrs account of the execution of Archbishop Cranmer, Thomas Cranmer. And actually... Um, it is very, 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 very long. If you put it out onto A4 paper, uh, it's 84 pages long. So suffice to say, I didn't manage to just uh, read it all before coming on. But um, anyway, so I've picked out some bits to talk about. Um, Debbie says, I thought it was common for royalty to not have much to do with the actual raising of their own infants. Yeah, I don't think it, it was. I mean, they have their own court set up, their own nursemaids, their own um well yeah, nurses, um, matrons. Uh Heidi, watching Wolf Hall after hearing about it here. Love it. Oh fabulous. Yeah, enjoy Wolf Hall. Um hi Lisa. Uh yeah, it's just such a big book. I remember reading and I got up to the bit where what happens to Cromwell's daughters happens to Cromwell's daughters and got so upset that I didn't pick the book up again and then watched the film. Um, yeah, was it a film or a series? And um, got to that bit or got to just before that bit and thought, oh gosh, I know what's coming. I found it very difficult, very difficult to watch. Um, yeah, my Far Forest Switch. Yeah, you just think you've got a bit of a cold coming and then I've realised that, no, it is actually linked 
to when I see the dogs, when I give the dogs a hug. Never mind. Never mind. Um, just as a, um, a heads up, I was just mentioning there about Tracy coming on the Amberlynn tour, but it's 100 days yesterday, so it's 99 days today until the private life of Amberlynn tour. Now, this one I have a few spaces left uh, on if anyone wants to still book. Uh, bookings close on the 31st of March, but we are going to a variety of places outside of the London area. So we still will stay at Hever Castle for um for a night. We get a hidden tour, a hidden Hever tour. So this is after hours tour where you get to go much further into the castle than you do if you're on the usual route. We're eating in the Great Hall, you know, the the table that's normally behind the ropes. We actually sit and eat there. Um, that's just one part of it of it. We are visiting Sudley Castle, Hales Abbey, um, Tewkesbury Abbey. Barclay Castle, um, Acton Court, which is open for an entire three weeks a year for the general public. So we are definitely, uh, when I've realised we could fit that in, I've put that in. Um, and um, yeah, so, uh, so oh, and Gloucester Cathedral. Sorry, I knew there was somewhere else. So that is a fabulous um, tour. And we've got Gareth Russell, of course, with us the entire time. Kate McCaffrey is joining us as well uh, while we're at Hever. So a really good tour. So if you are interested in that, check out the website, britishhistorytours.com, um, because bookings for that are closing shortly. Um, right, what have we got here? Oh, no, I'll come back to talking about um, Book Club later. So yesterday saw the anniversary of the execution of um archbishop cranmer now archbishop cranmer um rose to prominence during the reign of henry the eighth and he did so by according to uh the account in fox's book of martyrs through no ambition no plan no um effort to impress the king for position it was almost by accident and so he rose to prominence in the um basically because he he was consulted as you might if you had just sat down to have dinner with somebody he was sort of asked his opinion on the king's great matter um and and he was uh asked about this by two of two of henry's sort of commissioners that were in charge of looking at at, the, at this matter dr fox and uh, dr stephen and they happened to be staying in the same house uh cranmar cranmar had uh was staying at the house of a friend escaping plague uh, for a bit there was the plague was rampant in um in uh in London and so they happened to be in the same house sat down for dinner and Cranmer sort of said well I think I think you're going about this wrong you're sort of looking for a legal argument to why um Henry uh shouldn't be married to Catherine but the the answer is if if the answer is there either way the answer is there in the scriptures so the right people just need to look at the scriptures and this doesn't have to be Rome it doesn't have to be 
continental religious houses, this can all be done here because the answer is in the scripture. You just have to look. Dr. Fox and Dr. Stephen, when they saw Henry VIII, said, oh, well, actually, by chance, we were having dinner with uh, a person called Dr. Cranmer, and he thinks we've been going about this all wrong. And actually, had we been looking at, at it this way beforehand, we might have had our answer by now. By this point, we the, the the king and his commissioners are years into trying to decide: is there a basis, legal as they were looking for, for an annulment or a divorce from Catherine of from Henry from Catherine of Aragon? So the king's is a prick up. They are, you know, his 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 interest is. Uh, is is pricked and he he wants to see Cranmer. Cranmer is not actually very enthusiastic about seeing the king. He asks the commissioners to make excuses on his behalf and just basically, you know, well this is this is my idea and just take it take it forward. Uh that isn't sufficient for Henry and he decides he would like, you know, he definitely wants to see Dr. Cranmer. Um and 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 basically Henry decides he wants to elevate Cranmer. Cranmer ends up being part of a delegation that goes to Rome alongside him, um, Anne Boleyn's father. Um, and he's left on the continent to sort of go around some of the houses and discuss this matter, the king's great matter. And it's great matter because it's taking so long to get, it's important, but it's also taking so long to be resolved. Everyone involved is looking for a quicker solution one way or the other. Henry, for his part, assures Cranmer that whichever way the answer comes, he would accept it. Pretty much that's how I read that bit anyway, um, which is not what we're led to think or or maybe what Henry wasn't being true to his word there anyway. Um, that, yeah, whichever message whichever whatever the scriptures actually said then he would abide by and you know his queen is the 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 most loveliest queen the most loyal queen the most wonderful queen he could have hoped for and if the scriptures say it's 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 fine then then he'll continue to be married to her don't think he it sounds a little disingenuous um as we know what happens next so um so, yeah, so Cranmer is called for. The king is very interested in what Cranmer has to say. And um, and uh, and he and he so he, he he basically is employed by by the king, therefore, and ends up going to Rome, like I say, and ends up staying on the continent. Now, um, at some point during this, the art, the, the the incumbent archbishop dies. So there's a vacancy. And Cranmer is very much of the belief that you don't need to look to Rome, that that there's nothing in the scriptures that says that the Pope of Ro- that the Bishop of Rome, the Pope, is any more is any higher up um, than than a king or another bishop. There's nothing he can't see where it says that the Bishop of Rome has any precedence over any anyone else. Um, this, of course, 
aligns with Henry's um, understanding now of his position as head of the church in England, of um, his position as the only intermediary required between his people and God. Um, Anyway, suffice to say, Cranmer gets the appointment as Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, so immediate, so he's gone from having a meal with some people he'd not met before, putting his opinion across, uh, and within sort of a few short years, he is Archbishop of Canterbury, one of the highest uh, positions in the country. Um, so he presides over the um, divorce of Catherine and Henry. This allows, of course, Henry to marry Anne Boleyn. Through that divorce to Catherine of Aragon, Mary is, um, it becomes, um, well, she, she, I was going to say she becomes um, delegitimized. So she is, uh, so her, her parents' marriage is annulled. She therefore is, um, is is no longer legitimate. She's referred to now as the Lady Mary, not the Princess Mary. Um, and her little sister, born to Anne Boleyn, is a princess, and she's one of her 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 ladies in waiting. All very humiliating for the teenager. Cranmer has a big role in this. So Cranmer's Cranmer's position, though, for the moment is secure it's secure into the reign of henry VIII's son edward the sixth um and there is an account in uh in in fox's book of martyrs in this basically a biography of of cranmer um which um basically says that he he fought for um for mary at a time where mary was seen as such a threat by Edward VI's um, council and um, knowing that Edward is sort of in ill health and he's, he's, he's probably not got long for the world, that they wanted to execute Mary. And he actually sticks up for her and says, no, you, you can't do that. Um, but um, but anyway, that that's sort of just whether that's true or whether that's because, of course, you've got to remember the context of Fox's Book of Martyrs is, is everyone in there is a, a religious martyr. Um, so whether that's true or not, I don't know. I'd have to do more reading. Mm. Excuse me. Um, so, uh, so, of course, Edward VI, though, does die. Cranmer, Archbishop Cranmer is... Um, a proponent of Lady Jane Grey coming to the throne. That was Edward's wishes. Of course, it aligns with um, with Cranmer's um, beliefs of position himself. Uh, he doesn't believe that anyone should look to the Pope outside of the country. It's a foreign power, white, wide. Then, like I said earlier, there's no actual thing in the scriptures that says the Bishop of Rome should be the one to be looked um, toward from anywhere else. Um, so Mary comes to the throne, though, of course, and she wants to take the country back to Rome, wants to be answerable and come under the Pope once again. Now, there are plenty of people who held Cranmer's position, of course, in during the reign 
of Henry VIII into the reign of Edward VI. Of course they did. <laughs> That's how they survived. Um, now, a lot of people just got to pay a fine. They were forgiven. Um, but Mary seemed to be making an exception for the Archbishop of Canterbury, for Cranmer. There is, uh, again, uh, in in the account that that actually, to begin with, what she wanted to uh, to do was to um, just strip him of his archbishopric and fine him. Um, but for some reason, that did not end up being being the case. Um, now, Cranmer was uh, arrested. He was taken to the Tower of London and then he was um he was uh, taken to oxford and there was this lengthy um trial um where he was accused of basically heresy so so many people had um it been put forward that they should be tried for treason he was put forward as a, for a, a heresy trial and so these were things he couldn't deny that he um you know that he had uh uh that he had um, uh, decided that or fought for the argument that the Pope was not who you should look to um, and that, that he had put Henry VIII, King Henry VIII, at the head of the church and broke with Rome. These are not actually things that he could um, could deny, of course, and now they had become a crime where they weren't a crime when he did them. Um which is uh, actually pretty much time old uh, way of getting your enemies, you know, <laughs> like just make what they did a crime and then, and then you can get them. Um, so be careful for whoever is in power decides what is right and what is wrong. Um, so, so the trial is, is lengthy. Now, famously, Cranmer, um, renounces his faith and 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 converts to catholicism in some way um now it says in in the account that it might be supposed that it was done for the hope of life and better days to come but as we may since per, uh, perceive by the letter of his sent uh, of his sent to a lawyer the way it's written by the way i find really difficult to uh, to read you sort of have to um translate it a bit uh the most cause why he desired his time to be delayed was that he would make an end um so uh basically that he was buying time as opposed to his conversion being for uh any any wish for or belief that he would get um a, uh, um freed I suppose. So it's more for a stay of execution um, than, um, than 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 for anything else. And actually, he the Pope wanted him to go to Rome. He was called to Rome to answer for his so-called crimes there. And he wasn't taken. He um uh he was kept in England, he was kept at Oxford, and doesn't really appear like there was any intention by the English that he was going to go to Rome. Uh, now he says, um, 
I mean, it is lengthy, so I'm not going to read it all. But he says things like, um, I do renounce a bore and detest all manner of heresies and errors of Luther, um, all teachings which may be contrary to the sound and true doctrine, i.e. the original Catholic, uh, Catholic doctrine. Um, I believe most constantly in my heart and with my mouth, I confess one holy and Catholic church visible without which there is no salvation. And therefore I acknowledge the Bishop of Rome to be supreme head in earth, whom I acknowledge to be the highest Pope uh, Bishop, excuse me, and Pope and Christ's vicar and to whom all Christian people ought to be subject. Oh, thank you, Belle, for the badges. Justine, thank you so much. Really, really appreciate um, anyone who wants to support me. Like I say on Instagram, you can do what Belle's just done, buy me some badges or on um, Facebook, the stars and on uh, YouTube, the super chats. So it's much, much longer than that. Um, uh, supposed conversion to back to Catholicism where he is uh, saying, actually, actually, there is only one true doctrine. And everyone should be answerable to the Pope. The Pope is the highest um, uh, representative of God on earth. Um, The English authorities want to make the most of this. And they they decide that what they're going to do is get him to, 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 say this publicly before his execution um and this is going to be brilliant for pr it's going to be great for the pr of the of mary's regime and the catholic church it's incredibly short-sighted um i think mary she, she, mary comes across with Cranmer's. so Cranmer has uh converted to catholicism that should have meant that he isn't executed whether his uh, whether Cranmer's involvement in the direct involvement in the divorce of her parents had anything to do with it, I suspect probably a lot. Um, but it starts to come across as vindictive and um, I suppose you could say evil. That might not be the right word in the in the in the context of talking about a sort of heresy trial, but you know, Mary's actions come across as personal when they're trying to put a crop, put, put it at, put it over as, you know, it, it, this is a, this is a trial uh, of somebody who's, who's acted against God, but it's coming across in its, um, in reality, as if it's a trial against some, uh, against someone who has wronged Mary herself. Um, so, so again, there's there's a lengthy account of it in Fox's Book of Martyrs, where he where Cranmer gets Cranmer. I keep saying Cranmer. Cranmer gets to speak for quite a long time. If this is, uh, if this is true, now he ends it though. Let me find. Let me find it, please. Ah, oh, my masters, uh, do not you take it so. Always since I lived hitherto, I have been a hater of falsehood and a lover of simplicity, and never before this time have I dissembled. Um, he begins to cry. Um, he, he basically is taking back what he said. So he's he's taking back. 
he's recanting on his um, conversion. He's not, once this becomes clear what he's doing, he's not allowed to speak. Um, cries go up, stop the heretic's mouth, take him and take him away, at which point Cramer is pulled down from the stage um, and led to, to the fire. Um, go along the way, he, he's, he's got his arms outstretched. He's, he's touching the hands of people saying farewell to them. Um, and, um, yeah, and he is, and he is, um, he's tied with an iron chain to a stake, um, and, and his sentence, uh, read out loud. Um, now famously he, he signed his conversion with his, with his hand, with his right hand, his right handed. And, and he has made a promise that that hand, that hand that has sinned is going to be the first to burn. So as the fire whips up around him, he puts his right hand in the fire to burn first. Um, he stretches out his arm, puts his right arm, or hand, excuse me, into the flame, which he held so steadfast and immovable, um, saying that once with the same hand he wiped his face all men might see his hand burned before his body was touched his body did so abide the burning of the flame with with um, such constancy and steadfastness that standing always in one place without moving his body he seemed to move no more than the stake to which he was bound his eyes were lifted up into heaven and oftentimes he repeated his unworthy right hand so long as his voice would suffer him and using often the words of Stephen Lord Jesus receive my spirit and and you know, this 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 sort of bravery by, with which he goes to his death um is of course uh repeated by by his his admirers and gets him into you know, fox's book of martyrs um well, not just that bit but you know his his entire life um and and his end is is kind of um it's become um i don't know it's sort of um very oh, what's the word i'm looking for um uh yeah, I'll have to come back to it. I can't think. So, yeah, Colleen, Mary definitely had a grudge. His hand move had to make Mary mad. And this is the thing, it, it backfires on Mary. So Mary and her council have thought, right, we, what we have here is a is a prominent uh, conversion from someone um, who was, he was, Cranmer was at the absolute centre of the 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 break with Rome he's the one who 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 came up with the argument or the idea that there's going to be an argument that says that actually Henry doesn't need to answer to Rome at all he doesn't need to answer to Rome that allows for the break with Rome that allows for the divorce of Mary's parents They've got this high-profile conversion back to Catholicism. It's a win for Mary's government, for Mary and Mary's government. And then, of course, he recants it. He takes it back in as public a way as is possible. And that is a massive backfire on Mary and her and her council. 
Um, and Jenna, as she says, Mary acting out of revenge for everything that had been done to her. Um, Amy, Thomas Cranmer, yet another victim of Henry VIII's ego. Yes, obviously not directly, but Cranmer suffers for doing what Henry VIII had wanted all those years before. So it's a fascinating story. Um, if you want to have a look at the account of Cranmer's life um, in Fox's Book of Martyrs, it's um, it's online. I will put the link uh, under the YouTube video. So if you want to go and have a look, I'll put that link under the under this uh, this live stream. Um, I'll put the, put the link in the notes after after this. But it is it is a fascinating topic, and like I said, that was, so it was the anniversary of that um, yesterday, twenty first of March. Hmm. So, and we're going to talk about the death, the the final few weeks of life, and the death of of Elizabeth I in a moment as well, because we have the anniversary of that on the twenty uh, fourth, which is Friday, isn't it? Um, yeah. <laughs> Claudia Anne had a big ego as well. I think, I mean, if you look into anyone in this period who is involved in these incredibly, you know, seismic changes to the country, to everybody who they are uh, uh, ruling or in charge of, these these people, their actions had an impact on every other person in in the country and and maybe further afield as well and yet we, we do tend to fall into looking at it as a as a rather personal thing as if they didn't need to discuss uh or consider the implications on everyone else or if they did it's very much from a point of view of well they're in charge because they know best so you know god's talking to them their conscience is God talking to them. Uh, so, yeah, they know best. So everyone should just follow them. So, right. Now, uh, yeah, so let me, I'm going to talk to you about Elizabeth in a moment. That's, it's, it's, Elizabeth the first death is, and, and the run up to her death is fairly tragic, actually. But before we do, um, we had our first book club meeting on Sunday. So um, I'll tell you about that in a minute. Sorry, Jenna, Henry, without a doubt, caused so many problems for Mary and treated her terribly. However, if Catherine of Aragon had accepted a divorce, which wasn't unheard of for a queen, yeah, which wasn't unheard of for a queen who couldn't provide a, an heir, she could have saved herself and Mary a lot of grief. We've talked about that quite a bit in uh, History After Dark, haven't we? And I do think it's... Um, it's definitely something to consider. Um, you know, people will disagree. And it's fine. It's, you know, why not? We, let's chat about history and we can do it at a safe distance of 600, 500, 600 years ago. Um, but yeah, exactly. You know, Catherine couldn't produce an heir for Henry. They had one daughter, even one son would have been concerning, you know, to just leave with just one child um a lot is made of the fact that she's a girl okay fair enough but there was only one child there was only one legitimate child henry possibly had the option of 
and, and seem to be making moves towards from a very early point, actually, um, putting um, Henry Fitzroy, his illegitimate son, in in some sort of plan, perhaps. Um, it never transpires that way. And actually, Henry Fitzroy Roy dies quite shortly after Anne Boleyn in 1536. Um but she's yeah, they've got one child. So if Catherine, from such a, a huge dynastic family as well, herself, um, I I don't know if we've ever got to the bottom why of why she was so stubborn in in her, um, yeah, in her refusal to accept a divorce from Henry, who clearly did need to have more heirs. Whatever we may think, in our 21st century, pretty sure God hope, you know, that our children, um, that we can have one or two and we're going to have one or two still alive when we when we die. That's that's our that's our kind of I'd say hope. But I think most of us kind of take it for granted that that is what's going to pretty much happen. Um I know it doesn't in all cases. They're not that naive in the Tudor world. They're not thinking one child is enough. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, I agree with you, Jenna. Um, so, yeah, book club, Bri- uh, Brianna book club was a blast. It was so much fun. We spent um, an hour and a half talking about uh, Gareth Russell's book, The Ship of Dreams, The Sink of the Titanic and The End of the Edwardian Era. That was our first book. Um, Sherry couldn't make it but yes you've got the replay to watch and you can put your comments underneath the replay um, if you want to add any so yeah so we spent an hour and a half talking about Gareth's book the the writing style the information we'd sort of retained from it what had hit us the most what how em- what emotions we felt reading the book um all sorts of things it was it was really really fun discussion and we're now on to our second book of book club so if you're not in book club at the moment and you would like to um, it comes automatically with uh, a membership of my patreon so that's at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash british history and um yeah, if you if you're a member of my Patreon, basically you are automatically a member of the book club as well. Um, and the second book, then, if you're up for it, and the the next book club meeting is the twenty first of May. They're on Sundays. Um, is this book, Blood, Fire, and Gold, which um, some of you will have heard me talk about before? It is Estelle Peronc's uh, dual biography of Catherine de Medici and Elizabeth the First. Uh, with a heavy dose of Mary Queen of Scots because, of course, she is tied into both of these women's stories as they are in each other's. And um, Estelle has a a, a brilliant point of view, um, very interesting point of view coming from the French side um, in some of her previous work as well to, to looking at Elizabeth. It's, it's again, it's another... If you're very interested in Elizabeth, I mean, Catherine de Medici, by the way, very, very fascinating figure. But if you're thinking, I probably know as much as I can about Elizabeth, here is another view of Elizabeth. So this book is well worth a read. 
um, whether you're in book club or not. But if you are in book club or you would like to be in book club, this is the book we're currently reading. We'll be getting together on Sunday, the 21st of May. I will be fresh off the Anne Boleyn tour and uh, we'll be discussing the book. So uh, you are more than welcome to to join us. So if you, like I say, if you want to be part of book club, then um, then you can um, join at patreon.com forward slash British history. And as well as being a member of book club, you get to put your own questions to historians that I'm interviewing. The last one was about the dissolution of the monasteries, James Clark. Oh my God, finished that um, recording last week. Cannot cannot wait to share it with you i have never been so excited and i've done some incredible interviews including one with estelle Peronk. by the way if you want to watch that as well um like amazing but yeah so you get to answer, ask your questions of um of uh of historians you get an exclusive blog one of which i'm um about to publish which will be on elizabeth's last few days actually um and what else do you get discounts on event tickets so the Georgian Festival this weekend, the Georgians Online History Festival that I'm running, you you automatically get 10% discount on all those event tickets uh, and you get early access to things and you get ad-free versions of the content. So uh, Lisa, I'm reading, so, so I just read that as, so it's Blood, Far and Golger, which shortens to BFG. So the Roll Dahl book, BFG, for a split second, I thought, why is she telling me she's reading the BFG? <laughs> so, yeah, so Lisa's reading uh, Blood, Fire and Gold for the second time. It is, yeah, it's well worth a read a few times. Um, Linda, I've already started reading it. Uh, heard a podcast with author chat. Looking forward to the next year. Yes. So, yes, I've, I have a um, an interview with Estelle about this book as well. That's available on YouTube and the podcast so I think it's on the podcast so you can you can listen to that as well if you would like um Beverly I read about Catherine de Medici and the Jean Plady trilogy yeah Lisa love Jean Plady books so cool um and I must mention just quickly before we go on to Elizabeth's sort of Elizabeth the first story about the Georgians online history festival this weekend. It starts Friday evening uh, through till Sunday evening. There are six talks, Tracy Borman, uh, Gareth Russell, Illyri Lynn, Antonia Keeney, Ann Stott uh, and Katrina Marchant all talking about various uh, incredibly fascinating stories about the Georgian era uh the the tickets are on sale actually until the end of the event they're on sale until sunday because all the talks uh are available until the 31st of may if you have your ticket but ticket sales close on the weekend so if you've got your ticket by then you um obviously you can you can actually catch up on the talks when when you're when you're able to um and the website address to get your tickets for that is www.thegeorgians2023.eventbrite.co.uk. So that's www.thegeorgians2023.eventbrite.co.uk. The link to it is in my Instagram bio. And if you're watching on Facebook and Instagram, you can see it along the ticker tape along the bottom. Um, 
so there's also two live events on the Sunday. We have a historian panel you can put your own questions to. And then we have a closing quiz, which is a bit of fun. Um, don't worry if you've not watched all the talks by then. They, it's, it's, it's quite fun to, uh, to listen to and uh, test your knowledge anyway. So that's, that's this weekend. So I'd love to see you there. It's going to be, it's going to be loads of fun. Now, let's get on to our last story for the day. Let me have another sip of my water. I've got the tallest glass ever today. It's, it's bigger than my head. <laughs> Ridiculous. Elizabeth I. It's the anniversary of her death on Friday. So she died in 1603. Now, of course, with the death of Elizabeth I comes the end of the Tudor dynasty, the Tudor era. Um, and what I find, well, there's, a, there's quite a lot that's interesting about Elizabeth, of course. But one of the things that we, I think, should acknowledge with Elizabeth, her father, Henry VIII, is criticised for, or could be criticised for being completely obsessed with death. You're not allowed to talk about him dying. You're not allowed to imagine him dying. By the way, that wasn't him who brought that in as a treason, um, as a treasonous offence. That had been in the Treason Act uh, right back from the 14th century. But, but you know, but Henry Henry's very keen that no one talks about his death. But, but he will incessantly talk about his succession to the point where he Henry VIII leaves a will where he is trying to control what happens with the succession for generations after he's dead. For, for multiple generations, he is trying to control what happens. One of the things that's in Henry's will is that the descendants of his sister Margaret, who went up to Scotland to marry uh, James IV of Scotland, that her descendants are excluded from the line of succession. Why? Well, possibly because Scotland had what was called an, the old alliance with France, that they were... Yeah, they had this alliance, this political alliance. If England attacked either, the other would come in on there to support them. So perhaps perhaps that's why. Um, so completes, it completely excludes um, Margaret's descendants. Of course, the prime candidate at the time that, well, for, for, for a while beforehand, but that uh, at the time that Elizabeth is 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 clearly um, coming to the end of her life is James the sixth of Scotland, the son of Mary Queen of Scots, who was the uh, daughter of James the fifth, who was a son of James the fourth, i.e., a descendant of Margaret Tudor, um, who Henry had excluded from the line of succession. Um, so let me just say. Murphy Violets, Henry was incredibly self-obsessed. He was. It also had some part, uh, Jenna, it also had some part to play in the fact that neither of them liked each other. Mary and, uh, sorry, Margaret and Henry. Right, okay. Well, Margaret's only about, um, she wasn't very old when she was sent up to Scotland. 
so I'm not quite sure how old Henry was um either so I don't know but um Elizabeth on the other hand didn't like to talk about death but would not would not talk about the succession and after she um I mean clearly if you have a monarch it's nothing to do with her being a woman uh or anything like that it there has to be a line of succession when Elizabeth is in Henry's will but it's not really envisaged that that Elizabeth would would take the throne now Elizabeth does have legitimate heirs uh, namely the Grey sisters. So the, they're, they're named in both Henry VIII and Edward VI's will as legitimate successors. Um, but, um, but Elizabeth is so paranoid. She's as paranoid as her father, in maybe in different ways, but she is as paranoid as her father. And to name a successor, she sees as a shortcut to rebellion to her being uh, ousted off the throne and replaced with somebody else so the gray sisters are are hounded Arbella Stewart is um, brought to court to be kept an eye on and then sent away from court uh, because all, all by the way all of uh, Elizabeth's legitimate heirs are female as well what she would have done if they were male I suppose maybe she would have thought she wouldn't have been queen at all don't know um lisa i wonder if elizabeth on her deathbed ever regretted not having children yeah uh beverly when edward the sixth died the only people able to succeed him were all girls yep and even then uh they did not have faith in a woman as monarch so the protestant faith um believed that women uh yeah couldn't really rule or if they did, they had to rule with the council of men. And as soon as, say, Elizabeth had had a son, that uh, that she could be sort of immediately, maybe not immediately, we don't know because it didn't happen, uh, replaced by her by her son. So maybe that's in her head as well when she's thinking about marrying and and having children. Either way, she doesn't actually ever ever name her successor so let's let's go back a bit so in christmas of 1602 elizabeth is at whitehall palace and her her godson sir john harrington of flushing toilet fame uh, he he invented the flushing toilet uh he comes to see her at whitehall palace and he he's shocked to see that she is she's fairly unwell she's constantly sipping a drink out of a gold cup i don't know if that's um relevant um to to allow her to speak at all because she has such a sore throat she's also showing some signs at this point of forgetfulness She's she's requesting people come to court and then sending them away because she has no recollection that she has called them at all. So they've turned up without an appointment, despite the fact that actually what happened is she had summoned them. Um, she's also quite depressed 
just the previous um uh was it february the um robert Devereux, the earl of essex stepson of her you know favorite um uh uh uh, Robert Dudley sorry I've got John in my head then I was like not John it's not John uh Robert Dudley so his stepson Robert Devereux um Earl of Essex he led a rebellion and he had been executed um in the spring of 1602 she is incredibly depressed still about that and with the mention of um of the situation in Ireland and of um of the Earl of Essex um she weeps and she beats her chest this is still incredibly painful um, for her. She's she's heartbroken about the entire thing. Um, now, by mid February, uh, Elizabeth moves to Richmond Palace. Now, Richmond Palace is um, it's 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 demonstrable of the Tudor dynasty. Actually, Henry the Seventh had lived there. Well, it spent a lot of time there from the beginning of his reign. It was a place called Sheen Palace at that point. And um, and he'd spent quite a lot of time there. There'd been a palace there since the mid-14th century. And there'd been a fire when the court had been there. Uh, I think it was Christmas 1497, something like that. And he... Uh, he taken the opportunity to rebuild and rebuild in uh in a fashion that he liked it was in, it was really quite impressive 14 towers with cupolas on the top and um it was his favorite palace in fact henry the 7th uh, he he died there um he renamed it richmond palace after the title that he had held when he entered the the battlefield at bosworth in august 1485 and this is where Elizabeth, so to Richmond Palace, this is where Elizabeth went um, mid-February 1603. Um, she was still taking meetings there. A Venetian ambassador um, reported that um, that she was showing no, no she, was, she was old, but she wasn't showing any uh, particular signs of ill health. He was incredibly uh impressed by the number of pearls this woman managed to be wearing at any one time so all over her head um her bodice wrapped all around her wrists you know she's absolutely dripping in in pearls um and it's quite an interesting or funny in a way exchange that they have so remembering at christmas she's forgetting that she's even asked some people to come to court she seems to be getting or has back some of that sharp tongued wit that we can associate with Elizabeth because the Venetian ambassador has basically come to her to complain about English piracy, which was happening. (laughs) Um, And she chastises him uh, saying that the Republic of Venice basically only ever come to her when they're, when they're asking for something. Um, now she even plays the female card saying that you know if if it wasn't for her sex would she actually be you know would she actually be um she says would um uh, uh excuse me she says my sex has brought me this demerit in other words like would you be saying this if i was a man well there probably would have been yes actually but she but she so instead of arguing the point uh, defending it she just 
she just lays into lays into the guy with with her very quick wit um and like i said quite sharp tongue um so she does that but only a few days later so her her hands are starting to swell these her her long slender hands that she's so proud of for for most of her life are swelling to the point where the coronation ring has to be cut off her finger. Now, it was her sister Mary who established this idea of being married to your kingdom. It was Mary who gave a speech very much like you would expect to come out of Elizabeth's uh, mouth, that she was wedded to her kingdom. She gave that speech at Guildhall early, early on in her reign. And Elizabeth, of course, had done the same. So that cutting off of the coronation ring could be seen as an omen that that her reign is is in in the last ebbs um may for first which sounds like a backhanded compliment to say he was impressed by the amount of pearls he's wearing well maybe i'm putting words into his mouth but he does notice how many pearls she's wearing he mentions that she's got a very low-cut dress that she's in uh, white taffeta and gold she's wearing a crown Basically, she's cutting a very impressive figure. And you've got this juxtaposition of the grandeur, the, the you know, she, she's wearing this incredible outfit, but clearly is a crumbling, uh, you, you know, old woman. Her actual personage of the queen is, is, is crumbling. And he's, and he's, he's, <laughs> He's kind of, um, he's just really taken by this, uh, this juxtaposition. Yeah, this, this, this look um, of kind of crumbling majesty. Um, just it really takes him. Um, so, um, so yeah, so, so, you, so, so. You have this quick whip, but she's clearly she, she's swelling, and you have this this cutting off of the um, of the coronation ring. Now, the anniversary of Robert Devereux's execution comes on the twenty uh, fifth so of February, and um, around that time, so she has um, she's actually I was saying about her not wanting to talk about the um, the succession. 40 years beforehand, she'd had news that her um, cousins had, had married, basically. Now, their descendants, she hears news again that this is, sorry, back at the Christmas, I forgot this bit, that, that, that Arbella Stewart has approached um, the Earl of Hertford, Edmund, uh, Edward Seymour, excuse me, to marry his son. It, it's almost like a coming together of the the family line again to to have this combined um Tud, line of Tudor descent uh, yeah put back to put back together almost they could have children and and the Tudor line would continue albeit under a different name um this floors elizabeth now arbella stewart survives this the Earl of Hertford survives it, by the way, because he's the one who gets a message to Cecil, who is Elizabeth's private secretary, um, 
so he just he hears this message and is like right and he gets the message straight to Cecil because he has already decided that his best bet is to support the succession of James the sixth of Scotland to be James the first of England um because all of the Queen's Council are behind it um and that seems to be where the energy is is going toward so um so around the, the time of Robert Devereux's um anniversary of his execution she gets Elizabeth gets more letters from Arbella Stewart who um, it seems is well they're described as melancholy and rambling to the point that Cecil um, Elizabeth's private secretary secretary concludes that um, that Arbella has some strange vapors to her brain so in other words is not her 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 claims are not going to be taken seriously Arbella is dismissed really she's she's something's going on in her brain and it, it's it's she's an irrelevance now um however um Elizabeth's anxiety and paranoia about the succession that she's had her entire life we've just we've already talked about that she's coming to the end of her life whether she knows how quick that's coming or not she um it it it's it, it's on her mind she's very very worried she's very very anxious about it um and she's worried that everyone around her is looking to who the next successor is going to be she doesn't eat very much she um she's got a very dry mouth and um and and throat Cecil says she's very very dry mouth and throat very hot chest and she's incredibly restless so she spends three days in March uh sort of yeah February early March time walking around the uh the gardens at Richmond Palace in her summer clothes now we're in like this is the anniversary now we're in March now it's not warm (laughs) I can tell you that so so she's having some sort of um issue but yeah she's restless she's hot um people are starting to turn their thoughts to what will happen when elizabeth dies and this is everywhere in the streets in court everywhere um france henry the fourth uh is not happy about the idea of a scottish king becoming the English king, therefore uniting Scotland and England. And that old alliance that I talked about earlier would, by virtue of that, be broken. You've got the king of um, uh, Spain, Philip III, who is willing to back anyone other than James. He sees James as a liar. He sees James as someone who... um, who had promised Catholics that they could have, uh, you know, they could practice their faith and then they couldn't. So he considers him a liar and anti-Catholic. Um, so, sorry, let me see. I've got some comments. Um, Kath watched a um, documentary. Um, they said she had pneumonia um, and a horrible sore on her finger that got infected. There, so there was one sign, outward sign, other than, the restlessness and the heat um a uh that that cecil describes a um growth on the underside of her jaw which bursts and 
gives way to some matter, whether that's an abscess because we know she had bad teeth um, and struggled with her teeth. Um, I don't know. So, um, so you've got those external potential threats that people are concerned about. Would France invade? Um, oh, Kath just said, and her teeth being infected. Yeah. Um, would uh, Spain invade? The council, actually, Elizabeth Council, were more concerned with a civil uprising. The poor are in a bad state by now, and they're more worried that there's going to be some kind of civil unrest. Um, Colleen, she uh, did she have lead poisoning? The um, the makeup that they were use, I would, she must have done. She must have done. I would have to speak to somebody more medical, um, but. Uh, the the makeup that they were using that she was using to cover up of course the smallpox scars which she um sustained when she caught smallpox and nearly died uh would have would have um would have caused yeah poisoning they contain lead didn't they contain arsenic as well or if i made that up that's no it's green isn't it i think lead was for the white um so, yes, yeah, so the Queen's Council actually is more concerned with a civil uprising than than a foreign power. But they have been working with James of Scotland for a while, for a long time, to uh, to, to make this succession uh, as smooth as possible. Not just because they want to make the succession as smooth as possible, because they but because they want to make sure that they have position in the new court. Uh uh, Robert Cecil, the son of William Cecil, of course, is that far removed from the execution of Mary Queen of Scots, which his father was involved in, that he can he can enter into these negotiations unscathed by the fact that England executed James's mother. Um, so the council are convened at Richmond Palace from the fifteenth of March. They double the guard, but they're, they're, they're together in continuous council because of this concern that, well, Elizabeth is really, really not well and there might be civil unrest. She's not sleeping. She's getting weaker um, and she's refusing to go to bed. She actually refuses to sit, to rest at all for quite a while. Eventually, she is... Um, uh, persuaded to whether she's persuaded or she just collapses who knows on and sits on cushions on the floor of her bedchamber um and um she's described as sitting there on these cushions in the middle of her bedchamber with her with her her gaze fixed um uh on the floor and her finger in her mouth I don't, is that just a comfort thing? Is that a sign of contemplation, of anxiety? What is it? I don't know, but that's how she's described. And her godson, the, the sorry, her kinsman, so the, the youngest go, uh, grandson, excuse me, of Mary Boleyn, sister of, um, of, uh, obviously her mother Anne Boleyn, he comes to visit her on um, Saturday the 19th of March um, 
his name's Robert Carey. So Robert Carey, and she takes his hand and says, Robin, I am, I'm not well. Um, he describes her as being deep into melancholy. She is so sad. Um, because she is very aware that people are now talking about, um, about the succession they're looking to the next person luckily for him and for her he doesn't realize that he is one of them Robert Carey has already promised James that he will carry news of the Queen's death to him personally um so that's a Saturday the following day Sunday Elizabeth doesn't go to chapel she remains on her cushions um, and she refuses to move for another two days and two nights. Then finally on the evening of the 23rd of March, she is um, moved into her bed. She's still not named a successor. So, um, and like I said at the, at the beginning, Henry VIII's will actually at this point is extant. It's still in uh, it's still legally binding. It, it's still the one that that is is the one to look to. She's not made one. Um, and this, of course, Henry VIII's will bars the descendants of Margaret Tudor, of which James, of course, is one. Um, and the council, the council, have to do something because they've already decided that James is going to be the next king. Um, so they've got this obstacle to overcome and they convene in the Queen's bedchamber. And so the story goes, go to read out a uh, list of successes and uh, could you please <laughs> lift your finger to, because uh, she's, she's beyond speech by this point, or she's having r- real trouble speaking. Could you raise your finger to uh, indicate your assent to, to one of the names? Therefore, what happens next? Well, sorry, the accounts of what happens next are as varied from she doesn't move a muscle for any name through to when James's name is said, she makes the, uh, she she circles her, her finger above her head as if to indicate a crown. One of the servants of the court um, aptly, accurately describes the fact that uh, or uh, summarizes summarizes the point as it doesn't really matter what happened because the truth was not going to get in the way of uh, the fact the council had already made their decision. So the assent is supposed to have been given by Elizabeth for James to be her successor. And um, once that's done, that's her last formal duty. Then her Archbishop of Canterbury, John Whitgift, goes in with her chaplains and they pray with her. Once they leave, she is left with just her ladies of the bedchamber. And in the early hours of the 24th of March, she's still with them when she when she dies. Um, So it's um, I think it's really incredibly, if you think about it, poignant story, this this. You know, she she comes to the throne as a twenty five year old woman. Everyone's very excited. She loves dancing. She's gorgeous. She um, she could um, she she had the you know she had the pick of uh, eligible bachelors. Um, and here she is, really at the end, dying incredibly paranoid and 
pretty much alone. Um, Colleen, do we know if she was given anything for her pain? Uh, not in the accounts I've read, actually. I, so if her... Yeah, there's, there's, I haven't read, and maybe I just haven't read the right thing, um, whether her doctors, her doctors surely were called for, um, what kind of pain relief they might give, therefore, I don't know. Um, but it's interesting, isn't it? Because she, she was saying she had a sort of throat and, um, or throat pain, but she just wanted to sip on a drink to um to try and help that um and then if there's um a a great book by simon thurley which is about the beginning of the stuart um dynasty and his first chapter is great because it describes uh it describes basically um uh, how james ascends the throne of england um, and how he makes his way down from Scotland in a rather leisurely place. He really enjoys seeing all his new castles and houses and <laughs> and being sucked up to by uh, Elizabeth's ex-council, who are now desperate to get a place at the new court because he does bring his own with him. He brings a lot of Scottish... Um, advisors and courtiers and servants with him so but that's that's another story for another day but if you do want to um to read about that yes yeah, simon thurley's book which i can't remember the name of at the moment comes after houses of power which is about the tudor built world and it's the next one palaces of revolution not sure look at it thank you philip liking my hair Thank you very much. Well, we've done an hour and a quarter today. That was that was longer than I meant to. Thank you for sticking with me. If you uh, are around tonight, we've got History After Dark at quarter past eight. We're talking about King John tonight because, of course, we're in our Deceased Gits se- uh, series for 2023 where we look at some of the most dastardly uh, characters from British history. And uh, yeah, so tonight is King John. So I'll be here again on Instagram and YouTube on the History After Dark channels uh, with um, with uh, Katrina Marchant and Catherine Brooks. And we'll be talking about King John. Um, so. Uh, sorry, Linda says, I read somewhere that after she died, her ring was dropped from a window to a rider to take to James. So it was actually a ring of her one of her ladies. Um, that was uh, was she the sister of Robert Carey? Um, that is the ring that was taken by him to um, to 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 jo- uh, James. Excuse me. Um, Mayfair Forest wish if lying down. Sorry, just uh, if lying down was making throat pain worse, and it could be really bad um, case of reflux. Yeah, I think she was just generally on her way out. Yep. Kath, earpods at the ready for tonight um, for History After Dark. Um, Colleen's wishing everyone a good day. So, Lisa, yeah, John was such a git. Oh, you wait. We're going to enjoy tonight. We're going to enjoy tonight. And if you can't make tonight, 
I hope to see you at the Georgians Online History Festival. That's going to be such fun this weekend. And if you can't make that, then I will see you this time next week in the same place. Right then, everybody, have a great day. And hopefully I will see you later, if not on the weekend, and if not that, next week. All right, see you soon. Bye-bye.